0: Call this record, with artists more than one. This is comp, yeah, yeah. This is comp, yeah, yeah. This is comp, yeah, yeah. This is... Yeah,
1: yeah. This is... Hello, and welcome to This Is Comp, a brand new series of Discord and Rhyme minisodes where we crawl through various artist compilations, song by song, I'm Rich Bennell and I'm here with...
2: Amanda Rogers. Phil Maddox.
1: That's right, just three of us. These are leaner and tighter episodes than the normal ones. Something more bite-sized as sort of a sorbet between the more full-length extravaganzas that Mike so gracefully puts together for us, and love him, we do for it.
0: I prefer to think of them as fun-sized, because they're yeah.
1: fun. Yeah, sorbets are fun, too. Yeah, that's the goal, anyway. Anyway, so the idea behind uh, This Is Comp, it's sort of a way to fit in our old friend, Various Artists compilations help music geeks engage with entire subcultures and and bands who just never put out a great album and there are a lot of those trust me Uh, another reason for these episodes is that we have eight hosts on discord and rhyme four slots per episode and only so many episodes so this is a way for all of us to annoy you more often and finally this is the first in a series of episodes that we'll be releasing early for backers so if you're hearing this early thank you for backing us
2: thanks everybody
1: yeah so uh let's uh let, let's get to the comp. Uh so we're starting we're going to start with um we're going to start with a really important comp. It's uh, Nuggets original artifacts from the first psychedelic era 1965 through 1968. And it was originally released as a one disc uh compilation or a was it a two Two LP, double two, record, double record, yeah, uh, double LP, uh, and was eventually re-released as a whole like four disc shebang, which we'll be slowly crawling through. Um, but so before we get before we get started, uh, I'm just going to give a little bit of background info about the comp. So basically, this is the only possible comp we can start with because it more or less invented the various artists compilation as we know it, and has honestly had a major influence on music itself. And and it says something that when when scheduling this compilation all 8 of us at discord and rhyme just jumped in and like you know you know picked apart which episodes we wanted to be on because we all know this compilation it's it's like one of the uh, it's basically like one of the bibles of music nerdum so some so some quick background. It was curated by Lenny Kay, the future guitarist for the Patti Smith Group, and it was released as a double LP, as Phil said, by Elektra Records in 1972. Um, and it consists entirely of American psychedelic and garage rock singles released between 1965 and 1968. Um, now, Nuggets had an enormous influence on punk rock, and as well as the crate-digging collectors ethos that would drive fu- future various artist comps and box sets, and... Just you know, us in general as people, and from a historical perspective, each song is like a little time capsule from an era when everyone wanted to be the Beatles or at least as famous as they were. Um, anyway, that's that's about all we need to say about the comp itself. Uh, do you have any Do you have any general thoughts about Nuggets, like uh, before we dive in?
2: Well, I will add that I am a a very recent convert to the the bible here of music nerddom i for weirdly i had not heard this compilation until just a couple of months ago when one of our co-hosts may or may not have sent me a whole bunch of these mp3s but probably that did not happen because we're against that
1: oh yeah we're so against that
2: yes Mm -hmm. no no illegal music trading you guys that's bad Mm mm-hmm so, I'm I'm a lot newer to these songs than you guys are, but I knew several of them just from having listened to oldies radio as a kid. So, this is not totally new territory, but I don't know the whole thing forwards and backwards the way you guys do. So, this has been really fun for me to finally hear all this.
0: And I'll point out, like, I love this set. I've had it for a long, long time. But uh, Rhino Records, who uh, were the people who originally released this box set put out a bunch of other similar sets that are all worth listening to as well. We might talk about some of them at some point in the future, but they released Nuggets 2, which is garage rock from around the world, Children of Nuggets, which is uh, Nuggets-influenced music from the 80s, Los Angeles Nuggets, which was 60s stuff from LA, San Francisco Nuggets, which was 60s stuff from San Francisco, and... They're all four-disc sets, and they're all well worth your time, even if not all the songs on them are very good. Digging through kind of a lot of the trashier songs is a lot of the fun, which is why even if we like kind of bag on a song, like it's still fun to listen to them. So I have a great deal of love for this whole compilation, even when I'm making fun of one of the songs for sucking.
1: Yeah, and as you'll hear, there are a lot of songs worth making fun of, and we love every one of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, just, to, just to touch on Rhino Records for a second uh, it, it even goes beyond the Nuggets compilations When we were looking up potential comps to include on this uh, sub-series it, Their name just comes up over and over and over again They are just amazing
0: right, Yeah, they also did uh, No Thanks, the 70s Punk Rebellion, I think uh, Left of the Dial, Dispatches from the 80s Underground I have those 2 they're extremely great Especially the uh, Left of the Dial 80s one I would recommend that one highly
1: yeah, and uh, one kiss can lead to another. A girl group comp that comes in a hat box that my laptop is currently sitting on as we speak.
2: <laughs> Phil, you should definitely not upload that left of the dial compilation.
1: Mm-hmm. No, of course I, not. I should
0: definitely that, that would be, be very should, bad I should, behavior.
2: I should definitely
1: not upload the girl groups one either. No, you should not do that. Uh, okay, enough enough of this thievery. Let's uh, let's start the compilation. Um, so the first track is uh, the Electric Prunes with "I Had Too Much to Dream." Parentheses. Last Night.
0: Last night your shadow fell upon my lonely room I touched your golden hair and tasted your perfume Your eyes were filled with love where they used
2: to be, your gentle hand reached out to comfort me.
1: Phil was doing some serious air drumming there, let me tell you. So I Had Too Much To Dream last night it was released in November 1966 and uh, hit number 11 on the Hot 100 and uh, was actually a minor UK hit as well, hitting number 47, though I guess that means that it didn't get to be on top of the pops. Um, so, so these guys were from the San Fernando Valley in Southern California, and, uh, they originated from a surf rock group called the Sanctions. Um, and they were, they were produced by Dave Hassinger, who engineered Aftermath by the Stones, a great album, and, uh, they, and chose to work with the electric prunes after being reasonably impressed by a performance of, by them at a party, which is just about the most, most the most nuggets, uh, assessment I've possibly heard. Um, and, uh, yeah, so as you all heard, it's, it opens with a pretty awesome oscillating reverse guitar. Um, and, uh, there's some interesting background to that. Uh, it originated from the rehearsals where guitarist Ken Williams, who, as far as I can tell, is not the same Ken Williams who founded Sierra online, recorded with a 1958 Gibson Les Paul guitar with a Bigsby vibrato, Bigsby vibrato unit. And, um, so from an interview with vocalist James Lowe, the studio was in one little room and the console in another to stay to save money they flipped the tape over so we could record going the other way we could hear the tail end of this other song playing backwards because it was turned up so loud it sounded like an airplane landing in the studio we all said wow what was that that was great cut that piece off and save it <laughs> so that's the story of i had too much to dream last night
2: that was a good move mm-hmm.
1: yeah seriously uh what do you think amanda
2: i love that intro i think this is a great song to start the collection out with um I do kind of wish. I mean, I think you guys know more of these this band's songs than I do, but I kind of wish they'd made it bigger. I don't know why that doesn't regularly get played on Oldies Radio, although I guess nothing gets played on Oldies Radio anymore because it doesn't really exist. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just—it has a great drum beat. I really like that surf rock sound and the whole the guitar all the way through is really great.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh yeah, this one's super awesome. It really kicks things off in a great way, like. This song should be more well-known than it is. As As of now, it's mostly well-known by, you know, 60s rock fans.
1: Yeah, and uh, and XTC fans, because it, it very much influenced the Dukes of Stratosphere's 25 O'Clock.
0: Oh, yeah? Yeah.
1: yeah.
2: Uh, very much. Oh, yeah. It, oh, uh, yeah,
1: 25 O'Clock is essentially, like, a beat-for-beat beat
2: homage to this song. I should probably listen to that album, huh? Yeah,
1: you should. Yeah. It's
2: amazing. Okay. All right, well, don't upload that either, then. <laughs>
1: okay. so i feel like
0: you know this is the first track on nuggets so i think this is like a good time to talk about like the kinds of fates that befell a lot of the bands on nuggets so the electric prunes basically made two albums back in the 60s this was on their first one then their second album underground was kind of a flop it's decent record but because i actually did buy the first three electric prunes albums but they were really kind of reaching for a sound, and they never really landed on one successful sound. And then their record label basically just decided, we're going to hire some guy to write all your music now. And the guy they hired wrote an album called Mass in F Minor, which was like a psychedelic progressive rock like take on like a Catholic mass with all the lyrics in Latin.
2: Sounds like something Emerson, Lake, and Palmer would do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, except
0: Emerson, Lake, and Palmer wouldn't be terrible. (laughs) That's true. So they, like, the band barely played on the record, and then when it came out, like, they played it live once, and they were not competent enough at their instruments to actually play it. Oh, no. (laughs) Because they just hired studio musicians to play the music that they didn't even write. So the band became like just a name for this guy David Axelrod like and his like studio musicians writing his weird pretentious art rock and the original prunes were like nowhere to be found but like crazy stories like this happen to like a lot of these old garage bands, although this one is particularly weird
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I-, I just wanted to talk about the band's live performances as well i i didn't have a chance to look up any on youtube but uh, i read that the band would apparently perform with eight separate electronic amplifiers Uh, so there's at least that uh, as for the wow factor and they were apparently also decked out in purple velour sweaters with dickies slacks and loafers uh, which bassist mark Tulin described as pat boone on acid
2: well, if you're gonna call yourselves the Electric Prunes, I guess you know what else are you gonna wear? Yeah,
1: and that's another thing. Like the Electric Prunes, there were so many band names left. Why did they pick, take that one?
2: It that honestly, that sounds like a particularly violent form of diarrhea.
1: Yeah, well, that's the first thing you think of when you think like that's what prunes brings to mind. Maybe it's just uh-huh. maybe it's just decades and decades worth of poop jokes that didn't exist in the 60s. <laughs> Should
0: we really have a transition about how the next song is "Dirty Water"? <laughs>
1: Uh, <laughs> wow, I don't even know what to do with that one. Uh, track two. Oh, the stand. Oh, you
2: guys, we are 12.
1: We are 12. <laughs> eternally 12. Okay. Track two The Standels with Dirty Water.
0: <laughs> I'm going to tell you a story.
1: Okay, so Dirty Water was released in November 1965, and like the previous song, also hit number 11 on the Hot 100. Uh, I guess these guys just couldn't hit the top 10.
2: This should have been just two albums worth of number 11 hits. So
1: when I was doing research about this one, so this is one of Boston's great anthems. It's a, every Bostoner knows this song. Much to my surprise, these guys are posers. They are from Los Angeles. (laughs) (gasps) <gasps> yeah. Shocked. This song is based on the experiences of producer Ed Cobb, who apparently was mugged in Boston once. So you heard me right. The song is a diss track from another city, and now it's one of Boston's anthems, which is very, very Boston. <laughs> so that's pretty awesome. Um, the only piece of contemporary criticism I could find of the Standells was a review of a 1972 performance in Van Nuys, at which point they were already treated as one-hit wonders. So uh, this is pretty much like all there is to the Standells. Um, but I'm particularly excited about this song because they get to talk about urban planning.
2: Oh, yay. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so the this song is no joke. The Charles River was gross in the 1960s. Uh, so it was full of like all sorts of things like bilge, awful, uh, just, you know, all sorts of crap. Uh, and that was for several reasons. Uh, one was that like, you know, factories and such would just dump dump their crap into the directly into the river um like this these were the years before the clean clean water act and that's why the epa is important a second reason is because uh is because of runoff uh, so boston is covered in is, is covered in impermeable pavement so when so when rainwater comes down it carries all of the crap from the streets into the into the river and finally and the grossest part Boston, at least at the time, had a combined sewer system, which means that both stormwater and wastewater are in the same system, which, when stormwater overflows, means that wastewater becomes part of the runoff and goes straight into the river. So you combine, the, you co- you combine those three factors, and the Charles River and Boston Harbor were disgusting when this song was written. Anyway, uh, that's why environmental planning is important. And the Charles River is much nicer now. You can actually swim in it. Really? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. That's brave.
1: So, uh, anyway, uh, now that I've gotten that off my chest, uh, what do you all think of Dirty Water?
2: It's, uh,
0: it's another winner. Um, it's got a very basic kind of stomping beat to it, but it's really effective. Like, kind of the sneering vocals are really good. It's very basic, but it's very effective. I would also like to put in, at this point, there's a plug for another song by the Standells that I heard much later. That I actually think is a slightly better song than this. And it showed up on the Los Angeles Nuggets collection called Riot on Sunset Strip. It was written as like the theme song to just some kind of crummy exploitation movie. But it's basically just like straight up punk rock. Like which was really astonishing when I first heard it because it was like the 60s. (laughs) But, um, But this one, like while I don't like it quite as much, like it's considered a classic for a reason. It's, you know,
1: real good. I hadn't heard this song before I heard this comp actually. It was just never on the radio or anything. Yeah, me either.
2: This is actually one of two songs in this initial chunk that I did already know before I started listening to Nuggets. Uh and it it's a great song for all the reasons that you guys already said, but I'll just I'll take this opportunity to lament the loss of oldies radio. I don't know what today's kids are going to do without stuff like we had when we were kids. I grew up listening to Oldies 104.3 out of Chicago which I just found out is now a classic hip-hop station. I don't know if Chicago has an oldie station at all anymore. Uh, but back in the 80s and 90s, one of their DJs was Dick Biondi, who has been a DJ you know, since the dawn of time, and he was actually the first DJ to play the Beatles in the United States when he aired Please Please Me in February of 1963. I mean, he wow, was, dang. He, yeah, he was great, and that station was terrific. I missed it. So, yeah, I remember hearing this on there as a kid, and I always loved it. It's a terrific song.
1: Well, in the lack of oldies radio, the youngsters of today are just going to have to listen to us instead.
2: It's true. It's it is our job to educate the masses. You guys. Yeah,
1: uh, we are your guiding light, Generation Z. Yep, like, you got it. it mm-hmm. Kind of makes
0: kind of makes me wonder, like, where young people would actually even become like familiar with like the music of Elvis, since like it doesn't get played on classic rock stations, and there's no oldie stations anymore. I guess the the
1: YouTubes. Again, through Discord and rhyme, host Benjamin Marlin. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. There's a there's a '60s station on satellite radio that we play fairly often. But yeah, we actually, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna sound like such a smug jerk right now, but my husband and I actually go out of our way to play oldies music for our kid because we just can't stand the thought of her not knowing this stuff.
1: That doesn't surprise me at all.
2: No, no. This is completely in character for us.
1: So, this song is awesome, and uh, it's about urban planning. I got to talk about urban planning. I'm happy. (laughs) So, why don't we move on to track three? Um, This is The Strange Loves with Nighttime, which is not about urban planning. Okay, this was released in 1965 and hit number 30 on the Hot 100. Um, And so, I love the matter-of-fact Wikipedia entry for this band. The Strange Loves were a band created in 1964 by a New York-based American songwriting production team who pretended to be from Australia.
0: Who among us hasn't? (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So here's the reasoning behind that, because there is reasoning. Uh, the Loves, yeah, they were an already established American songwriting and production team, and they actually wrote My Boyfriend's Back. And they wanted to imitate a British invasion band when that became the big thing instead of girl groups, but they couldn't fake British accents, so they pretended to be Australian instead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, Why not? Like you do. Um, and since they formed in 1964, I am going to take a wild flying guess at where they got their name.
0: I would wager the classic Stanley Kubrick film Lolita. Yeah, uh,
1: I was gonna uh, guess
2: Doctor Zhivago.
1: I was gonna say Barry Lyndon, but that came out in 19, But that came out in nineteen seventy-five, so that doesn't really work chronologically. <laughs> but yeah, okay. So uh, for our younger listeners, it's the movie Doctor Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb, which was very, very popular in nineteen sixty-four, and I recommend that you see it because it's amazing.
2: Yeah, oh, it's so boring. It's boring.
1: Oh come on! <laughs>
2: it's so boring.
1: If there was. okay that's (laughs) wow i I was not expecting cinematic discord here sorry anyway i
2: I just i can't resist any opportunity to troll you guys you know that i'm holding my
0: tongue here (laughs) in in, in the name of keeping this moving along
2: (laughs)
1: okay so uh this isn't essential nuggets but i like it I, i mean these guys weren't garage rockers and you can tell like with the production there's kind of a mixture of density and clarity to it that you only get from seasoned producers or maybe i'm only thinking that because i know their producers. I don't know. What do you guys think?
0: The song has a very deliberate arrangement. It's really interesting because it starts with just, you know, the right on the beat thump 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 and you get that piano kind of Own, otf, them, dun of dump, dum, dun dum, dun tum, dum, dn, than, dun 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 with the guitars and it just builds everything. It seems like it's a really well-constructed song. It's very simple, but like it's very deliberate, like very well written. So I I get that, like how you can hear how it was put together by people who definitely knew what they were doing, not just people slamming on instruments in a garage somewhere. But yeah, I would agree with uh, your statement. It's not one of the essential tracks here, but, you know, definitely a good song. I definitely enjoy it.
2: This one feels to me like a weaker retread of Dirty Water. To be honest, it's that same kind of thumpy beat. And you're right that it's very well written and expertly composed but i feel like the execution is not as good as it could be like they're trying hard and they're decent songwriters but it's just not up to the same level as the very similar song that came before Mm
1: -hmm. yeah it's no my boyfriend's
2: back or yeah not even Mm -hmm. that
1: yeah, and uh, the other thing I wanted to note about the Strange Loves is that they're uh, much more famous for I Want Candy, the original version, before it was turned into a gross jailbait anthem by Malcolm McLaren and Bow Wow Wow. Uh, but we'll hear we'll hear back from the Strange Love song in a few discs.
0: Not the um, rap track cut by MC Pants.
1: I have never heard of that.
0: <laughs> MC who in the Aquatine I'm account? making
1: an Aqua Teen Hunger Force
0: reference for the two people in our audience who will get it.
1: and that's your one Aqua Teen Hunger Force reference this episode (laughs) okay uh, time to move on to Lies not by the not by the Thompson Twins but by the Knickerbockers though I wish we were playing the Thompson Twins song because this one kind of sucks what
2: okay you've got your revenge now (laughs)
1: Okay. Lies by the Knickerbockers. Uh, so this was released in 1965, beginning of the Nuggets uh, time frame, and hit number 20 on the Hot 100, uh, probably because people just assumed it was the Beatles and like called in and requested it. So these guys are not from Liverpool because then they would not be eligible for Nuggets 1. Uh, they're from Bergenfield, New Jersey, a suburb of New York, um, and they're led by brothers Bo and John Buddy Charles. And uh, as you can hear, yeah, it sounds like exactly like the Fab Four. And... According to them, it just naturally came out that way. So a contemporary quote from their drummer, Jimmy Walker, we didn't go into the studio to copy the Beatles, but it just happens that Bo's vo- voice timbre is the same as John Lennon's and buddies like Paul, they can't help it. So like, yeah, just the music they they naturally make, a couple of New Jersey guys just, you know, comes out sounding like the Beatles.
2: I, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I don't think I believe that. And I bet
1: they talk like this too. No, I'm not even going to try a Liverpool <laughs> accent. Wow, I'm so bad at accents. <laughs> i'm gonna i'm never gonna do that again (laughs) okay (laughs) so uh, what do you all think now that i've embarrassed myself
2: i love this song i love this this is my favorite of this first chunk of nine and this is the other one that i knew already but i always thought this was the dave clark five and i'm still not convinced that it's not i mean listen to this and then listen to glad all over i swear to you it's the same voice you know, they're the other band that people often think is the Beatles because they sound very similar. And that's fine. It's a good sound. There's a reason why everybody likes that sound. Um, this song, it has a really interesting melody, especially compared to some of the other, like, real basic garage rock tunes on here. Very competent vocal harmonies and really interesting. There's even some key changes in there. I love it. This is a great song.
1: I do like key changes. Yeah, I... I okay i don't hate this song i don't hate very many songs uh but i guess my issue is that this sounds like the form of the beatles without the hooks or the spirit sort of the opposite of that thing you do actually um which i which i do love Uh, i guess it's just i don't know it's it when you're playing in the beatles ballpark it's just it's it's tough to it's tough to play there like that cold start is just no she loves you
0: i feel like this is of comparable quality to like I don't know, an album track on Please Please Me or With the Beatles or something like that. Mm. Not as good as She Loves yeah, You or that's anything. True. But I but like it sounds like something off of those records with like kinda of the key difference to me being that, you know, the Beatles had George Martin to like, you know, make everything mm-hmm. real clean. Whereas uh, the Knickerbockers here it's a lot dirtier and rougher, which kinda gives it its own identity. Like, I like it. I think it, mm-hmm. it sounds like an early Beatles song, but kinda rougher, which I mean, it. W- I wouldn't mistake it for one of the classic Beatles songs, but it's dang catchy, and I like this song a lot.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's true. I guess, like, saying, you know, it's not as good as She Loves You is kind of unfair. Plus, Amanda's been staring daggers at me <laughs> since I started, like, it's true, <laughs> hating on this song. Yes. Yeah, sl- um, sl- slot true. this
0: somewhere on the yep. Please Please Me, and, like, just as a random album track, and I think it would sound real good.
1: Oh, yeah. mm mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, the other thing I wanted to say is that I think it's hilarious that a sizable majority of bands on the original Nuggets are, like, the bands. Like, uh, I would say about three quarters of them on the original comp. Um, And I guess, like, uh, you know, everybody wanted to be the Beatles. This is the first and not the last band on the comp to just drop the musical pretense. Though I guess it just naturally came out that way, like they said. Not
0: even close to the most blatant.
1: Oh. We'll get there. Oh, yeah, I know which one you're talking about, yeah, okay. Um, Anyway, so let's go to track five, uh, The Vagrants, with Respect. The third time we have heard this song on Discord and Rhyme, and we just started.
2: The song is everywhere.
1: Respect by the Vagrants did not chart, um, because I guess Respect had already charted enough by that point. Um, so so the Vagrants were a blue-eyed soul group from Long Island that mostly played cover songs like this, mostly Motown. Um, and the only other thing I know about them is that in 1969, they broke up when guitarist Leslie West left to form the band Mountain. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> I hate oh, Mountain. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know them. I, ju- I just know Mississippi Queen. Uh, Phil, I hate you know that band- song. <laughs> Phil, Phil, you know bands like that. Are they good?
0: I have their first album, Climbing, with an exclamation
1: point, which is <laughs> um, it's a pretty solid, you know, seventies hard rock. So, Amanda, you have some ba- you have some more background on this one, right? I
2: do. I was really curious about when this came out because it mostly sounds like Otis Redding's version, but about two thirds of the way through, he yells to me. So that made me real curious about who came up with Sakatumi first. Was it these guys or was it Carolyn Franklin? So I spent a good 45 minutes Googling this because shockingly, various discography sites are not real concerned about tracking the exact month obscure non-hits came out in the 60s. But I finally found out this single was released in March 1967. This was a full month before Aretha's single came out, but it was after the album was released. So most likely they heard hers and just, you know, threw that line into the Otis Redding version. I mean, who knows why. Um, this was a hit on the East Coast, uh, probably until Laretha Single came out and obliterated all competitors. Uh, but it, it did, it had its day in the sun, just a little bit of sun anyway.
1: Yeah, I guess, so it didn't, that's one reason it didn't chart, uh, is I guess it was more of a localized hit, like uh, just, yeah, East Coast, Long Island, just, uh, yeah, local band done good.
2: Yeah, and this was also not that long after the era when the same song would hit the charts by several different artists. I actually learned this from Mark Lewison in his wonderful book about the Beatles, Tune In, Um, in the fifties and the early sixties, you would have like, I think this happened with blue suede shoes. There'd be three or four different versions of it in the charts at the same time. So you'd have to go like know exactly which one you were looking for when you went to go buy the 45. Uh, so this might not have been that unusual even at this point to have, you know, Otis and the vagrants and Aretha all singing the same song on the radio.
1: Yeah, I was original. I originally thought like, oh, why would you do respect? It's already famous. But yeah, as, as you said, uh, this came out before Aretha's version, and yeah, this was just a pretty common thing to do with an awesome song in the sixties.
0: Mm-hmm. My opinion, like, it's it's one of those covers. Like, it really doesn't add much to Otis Redding's version. It's basically the same arrangement, like the same mm-hmm. everything, except the singer's good, but he's not Otis Redding. The musicians are not as tight as the people on the original recording it's one of those recordings like it's the kind of cover where i'm like it's good but why like i could just listen to otis redding's version and if i want to hear the song redefined you know aretha's version is right there so this sounds good it's a good song performed well but it doesn't strike me as being particularly necessary for anyone to hear
1: yeah, I think this was just like a song that a Long Island cover band played as part of their repertoire that got released as a single and just uh that's about it, honestly.
2: Yeah, I mean it's interesting in a oh, okay, mm-hmm. I guess that happened right. kind of way. But yeah, it's not really vital to anybody's yep. collection.
0: I think I still like the way I describe things like this. Good but why.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we've all been waiting for this one. Let's move on to track six. Mouse's a public execution.
0: Some other high-
1: all right that is a particularly memorable one so yeah there's a lot of um kind of off-brand uh imitations of other artists on on nuggets and this is one of the most blatant of them so this was released in december 1965 it didn't chart just bubbling under at 100 at number 121 so it kind of did chart this i I don't really understand the bubbling under chart it's kind of like the hot 100 losers chart Uh, but then you have the billboard 200 i don't know uh, uh, Chris Melanthy, if you're listening by this point, like explain the bubbling under chart to me.
2: Oh, he's our biggest fan, don't you mm-hmm. know?
1: Yeah, I-, I guess we always have to explain that he is the host of the show Hit Parade, which we all love.
2: Yeah, and which you should all listen to. It's really good.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so this is by uh, this is a single by Ronnie Mouse Weiss, who hailed from Tyler, Texas, which is about two hours east of Dallas. I assume more in traffic. Um, he recorded and produced this song on his own, and then he went on to tour with an expanded band called Mouse and the Traps. I don't think, we haven't, we haven't said it, we haven't said it yet. Yeah, he, um, this sounds like Bob Dylan. Let's just get it out, let's just get it out there.
0: Specifically, it sounds almost exactly like Positively Fourth Street, a song they're blatantly copying.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we would normally include a clip of Positively 4th Street here, but uh, This Is Comp is going to be pretty clip-light, because we're trying to keep it short, or at least as short as we can possibly do when we're this long-winded. If you don't know
0: Positively 4th Street, you've got YouTube.
1: Yeah, so the, to me, this is the musical equivalent of those off-brand, not-as-good fruit Loops and Cheerios you see at every big-box supermarket.
2: <laughs> the ones in the big bags down on the bottom shelf. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I'm going to disagree with you on that,
0: because, like... Those are just as good tasting as, like, the regular Froot Loops, and they're cheaper. Whereas this sucks, as opposed to Bob Dylan, who doesn't suck, and if you bought the single, it would have cost you the same amount of money. Do not disparage cheap cereal.
1: I, I, I did not <laughs> know you were such a big cheap cereal fan. Wow, what's your favorite one? Ooh,
0: I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll get back to you.
1: I uh, <laughs> I don't know. We're being silly on this one, because it's a silly, silly song. It, like it It's hilarious to me that it existed. It's like raw capitalism right there. Just, like, these big bands were, like, hitting the scene, or bi- bands and artists in the mid-60s, and just, like, leagues and leagues of imitators everywhere. That's why I love Nuggets, the fact that something like a public execution mm-hmm. exists.
2: Yeah. I will say, though, that I like that opening guitar lick a lot. Oh, yeah, that little... Um, yeah, it sounds a lot like some of the bluegrass music that was coming out in the sixties. Like if you listen to uh, like the, what the Dillards were putting out in that era. Um, I don't know if yeah. Uh, okay, just cut me off right there. I'm I've, I'm done talking.
1: <laughs> okay, uh, I think we're all done. I think we're all done talking about a public execution. So let's go to track seven, yeah. uh, the Blues Projects. No time like the right time. No Time Like the Right Time was released in 1966 and hit a whopping number 96 on the Hot 100. But whew, at least it's not Bubbling Under, guys. <laughs> that would be terrible. So, <laughs> wow, well, I'm really hating on the Bubbling Under chart today. So the Blues Project was from Greenwich Village in Manhattan, New York. Um, their name is a reference to a 1964 compilation of white village artists playing black acoustic blues. I don't think we're going to cover that comp on This Is Comp. Sorry, everyone.
2: But it sounds so authentic.
1: So vocalist and guitarist Danny Kolb had two songs on the compilation, so that's what the reference is to. Um, yeah, <laughs> this this one is awesome. Like, I I don't know, like... I don't know if you all noticed, but it's a Nugget song with a a minute and 20 second build from like beginning of song to the end of the chorus there, which is uh, that's about half of the song. That's strange for a track uh, on Nuggets. Yeah,
0: it's got like Al Cooper, who played with Bob Dylan, like writing it. And like, I don't know if he wrote it, actually, but he sings it. Mm -hmm. um, He plays the organ. Uh, This one's kind of a ringer. I don't know if I would call this one garage rock either, but whatever it is, it's real good.
2: Oh, yeah, this is a great song.
1: Well, these are kind of, these guys are kind of ringers, right like a, they're like the strange loves that's they're not quite like you know just people actually playing out of their garage. yeah these oh, are yeah. professionals,
2: yeah, Al Cooper played with everybody everywhere and was really good at it and whoever actually composed the song, I'm not sure who it was did a bang up job with it. I mean that vaguely western movie sounding intro is just fantastic. I love it, and the whole the whole song kind of reminds me of. A little bit of Jay and the Americans. And I don't mean that as an insult because I really like Jay and the Americans. Who are Jay and and the Americans? Uh, Come a little bit closer. Um, They did a version of this magic moment. Uh, Okay. Uh, Yeah, a lot of, you would recognize their stuff probably if you heard it. Mm -hmm. Um, Only with Al Cooper doing organ and vocals. And that organ is so good. It's very sophisticated for a Nuggets track and that really makes it stand
1: out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the combination of like tones you get from from nuggets. Uh, again, yeah, just like established bands like this, and then just like whoever the hell Mouse is. Uh, but in, anyone have anything else?
0: Yeah, nothing particular. No. I mean, it's it rules. That's my final take oh, yeah. on it. It rules. It yeah, does. we're not we're not
1: we're not gonna opine on these songs for like ten minutes apiece. The, they're they're small. They have so much to say, but we need to move on, <laughs> especially because we have the shadows of nights. Oh yeah, track eight. Oh no oh no whoa yeah
2: everything gonna be all right this morning
0: i got a little woman she in the town she says she loves me but best of all
1: she's my woman my all all she's
2: my lover
1: yeah she's my all we run around,
0: have a lot of fun She whips my ear and see, oh, you're the one
1: Said, oh, yeah,
2: said, oh, yeah Said, oh, yeah, oh, yeah Picks up a telephone, call at home Said, hey, little boy,
0: won't you my daughter alone Said, oh, yeah, said, oh, yeah,
2: said, oh, yeah.
1: So after the Paulist professionalism of no time like the right time, we get oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, we, you, we, we already put you through that. I don't need to sing it for you. Um, so this was, was released in 1966 and hit number 39 on the Hot 100. Yep, it was a top 40 hit. This wonderful, wonderful song. Yeah, low standards uh, back then. I'm being, I'm being, I'm being so mean and sarcastic. Uh, anyway, so some background. The Shadows of Night were from Chicago. Um, and they described themselves as taking the Chicago blues back from the Stones, Animals, and Yardbirds, um, who, had, who had taken it from you know, the American South. So I guess it was like you know going across the pond and then back, and then they gave it a new coat of Chicago blues paint or something. I don't know. Either way, the result isn't very good. And this band appears three times on Nuggets. The other two songs are also not very good, and you're going to hear us talk mm-hmm. about them. Yeah, I don't know. I I am kind of glad that this comp includes all of the awful garage rock, too. Like, you really get a sense of the breadth of the culture.
0: Oh, no, I wouldn't want it any other way. I want
1: these bad songs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I need to stop singing.
2: So, these guys also have a real good description on Wikipedia. It says, at the time they first started recording, the band's self-description was as follows, basically what Rich said, the Stones, Animals, and Yardbirds took the Chicago blues and gave it an English interpretation. We've taken the English version of the blues and re-added a Chicago touch, to which noted rock critic Richie Unterberger commented, the Shadows of Night's self-description was fairly accurate. (laughs) Uh,
1: (laughs) That's like like being reasonably pleased with the... uh... Uh, with the electric yeah, curtains.
2: he he's very carefully not editorializing on that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have another, another Wikipedia thing I love, and we're not just researching on Wikipedia, listeners. I promise, uh, but it's it's hard not to mm-hmm. sometimes. Uh, the the past members section for Shadows of Night contains thirty six people, as uh, as the vocalist Jim Jones has carried on the band's legacy under various lineups, just basically like since the sixties.
0: We're approaching the fall levels, except it's the Shadows of Night.
2: So we had an off brand Bob Dylan earlier now jim soans i feel like is an off-brand van morrison which kind of makes sense since their their first date was a cover of gloria and i guess he said you know that this this works for van morrison i'll just try and be him and it i don't mind this song but it's not that great and it's two minutes and 49 seconds long and that is too long
0: Yeah, I mean, I like the sound of, like, pretty much all these garage rock bands, just because I really like that kind of raw, like, electric guitar and pounding drum sound, which carries it through even when the songs themselves are awful, like this one is, because this song does nothing at all. It just does over and over again Mm -hmm. for three minutes, and it's hilariously half-assed.
1: Yeah, and it's funny, because uh, uh, from around the time when their Gloria cover came out, I found a piece of contemporary criticism about them. And apparently, like, for a time, they were the band in Chicago. Like, everyone went to go see them. So, like, I, I guess they were, like, the Chance the Rapper of their time. Which, uh, now I've said that about the Shadows of Night and Michael McDonald. So, But it's true.
0: A particular note, I guess, is I love that hilariously lame intro. Oh, yeah, everything gonna be all right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I did not oh, do it yeah. considerably worse. Mm-hmm. No, oh, you, that yeah. was
2: pretty spot on, I'd say.
1: Well, the, the Shadows of Night are clearly trying too hard, so let's move on to the Seeds, the final track of today with pushing Too Hard. And I was trying way too hard with that segue. <laughs> So, Pushin' Too Hard was initially released November 1965 as, parentheses, your Pushin' Too Hard. Uh, I don't know, I guess they, I guess the record label didn't like that it wasn't a complete sentence, but they didn't mind that it was pushin' and not pushing. I don't know. I think I'm overthinking it. Um, but the song was then reissued in October 66, without the parentheses, under the name We All Know and Love, when it finally charted at number 36. So the Seeds were from Los Angeles, where they gained a reputation for high-energy live performances. And, like, yeah, this the, the, the version of this song on here, or the famous, the studio version sounds kind of tinny, but I'm trying to imagine, like, seeing this song performed unexpectedly live, which, I, I mean, it must have really, like, torn the roof off, that sucker. Oh, yeah. Um,
2: mm-hmm. But
1: uh, so their, their earlier music was, was apparently very, very Stones-inspired before they established more of a signature sound as displayed on this song. Um, but so what do you both think?
2: Well the instrumentation here is really fun. It has a great drum part, nice driving rhythm. There's a ni- really nice kind of surfy sounding guitar that I like a lot and interesting keyboards there in the middle, but oh, does that vocal get on my nerves. Pushing too get... hard! Pushing too hard. Yeah. yeah, it it's it's not not my favorite thing. Um I did find out though, and then was immediately sorry that I asked about it. That this is referenced on Frank Zappa's album Joe's Garage. I'm not sure how much farther I should go with that because it turned out to be real dirty.
1: Uh, we uh, no, it's it's about PG thirteen dirty. We can go forward with it, but okay. we're, we're we're not we're not saying any dirty words,
2: right? Okay, so uh, no, I I read this again on Wikipedia. We don't do all our research there, but it is a real good starting point. Uh, and I, I guess Frank Zappa uh, sings, You're pluking too hard. And I, I had to ask Phil what that means. And then, like I said, I, I was sorry. <laughs> yeah. So,
0: Phil? It comes from a sequence in which the titular character, Joe, is having sex with some kind of robot who informs Joe that he is, quote, pluking too hard on him. And then the robot explodes, leading Joe to get sent to jail. It's, uh not frank zappa's most lyrically mature effort
1: yeah isn't that like basically what the last two thirds of joe's garage is about just having sex with robots uh
0: most of the middle third yes
1: okay i've never i've never never made it through i just don't have time
0: for that. (laughs) i like zappa a lot but uh controversial opinion incoming you can skip joe's garage
2: yeah, I'm pretty comfortable with not having heard this.
1: I don't know. I, I hear Zappa is one of those artists where you have to hear every album, or you're not getting like the full experience. Please don't. Is that true, Phil? <laughs> Please don't do that. Darn. Like, oh, I'm trying. I'm trying to troll our listeners though.
2: and our co-host Dan, he's coming for you, Phil.
1: Mm-hmm. I figure if any, yeah, hard-
2: if any
0: hardcore Zappa fans are listening to this, they're already angry at me. So.
1: <laughs> well, anyway, um, yeah, this is this one is actually probably my favorite song of this nine of the set of nine but probably not of the entire first disc or the comp um it's i don't know it just rocks to me like uh, i i kind of like that vocal performance but i have a love for like weird vocalists again i'm a huge xtc fan as i'll probably mention in every episode i, I don't know i'm into this one it's probably i probably don't like it as their as much as their other contribution to to nuggets which we'll get to eventually but uh, it's a solid track for me
0: yeah this one's awesome i think
1: i like i actually
0: like kind of the yelled vocals like i listen to a lot of like you know weird punk music from like the late 70s by like quasi professional musicians so i'm quite used to
1: uh this is kind of punk
0: that's uh, very punk like yeah, yeah, yeah proto punk and this one is just you know again relentless like pounding rhythm guy just kind of yelling the words over it this one's a lot of fun like Mm-hmm. It's a lot of people describe Nuggets as having like kind of proto punk stuff on it. And this is kind of one of the clearest examples of that. And since I really like, you know, a lot of you know 70s punk stuff, I'm really into this one, too.
1: Well, I think that's it. Uh, that's our first episode of This Is Comp. So uh, let's let's roll credits.
0: What do you call this record with all these songs?
1: Thank you for listening to This Is Comp, part of the Discord and Rhyme podcast. If you'd like early access to these episodes, visit our Patreon at patreon.com discordpod and pledge at the $5 level. Our opening theme is performed by the Hector Collectors, and you can find more of their music at thehectorcollectors.bandcamp.com. The closing theme you're hearing right now is performed by Kenneth Crayley, and you can find his own music at kennethcrayley.bandcamp.com and his band Casinos at casinos.bandcamp.com. Music for the theme was originally composed by Andy Partridge of XTC, with new lyrics by Adam Smith. Visit our website, discordpod.com, for show notes and a list of upcoming episodes. You can follow us on Twitter at DiscordPod. You can follow Rich at Zonetrope. Follow Amanda at magneticink 67 And follow Phil at P.A. Maddox. See you for the next batch of nuggets, and be ever
2: wonderful.